Welcome, you are listening to Bookalicious with me, Paul Jarrett, Gwen Marshman, Laura Edwards and occasionally Holly Thorpe. We'll be talking everything to do with books, reading, writing and uh, our new season we are introducing features like Book of the Month, Spotlights on Classic Authors, uh, highlighting particular libraries, bookshops and even some other book podcasts. So if you love books, you're in the right place. This is a podcast to open your mind. Season 2, Episode 5, which makes Bookalicious sound a little bit like a soap opera. Oh, no. Well, I just made that it up. Is, and, it and, is, it and I've got, uh, with me tonight, I've got Gwyn and Holly is back again. And we might have Lara lurking somewhere on the periphery of the vortex that is Zoom and the internet. Uh, <laughs> she may she may talk to us or not, but um, uh, maybe we should, Book of the Month ought to be the play of Blythe Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, we've got quite a lot of catching up to do. Uh, the, our next episode after this will be uh, focusing on the book of the month, which is Edgelands, selected by Gwyn. Um, and, uh, but but there, there's an awful lot of things that happened since we were last on air. Not least, one of our listeners... Uh, hello, Pat, all the way out in California. One of our, um, our veteran listeners, I think you are, Pat, but sent us a wonderful email. It was a, it really, really um, lift, lifted our lifted, well, lifted my heart. And, 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 and you know, it, you, you said quite a lot in this email, but I think we ought to just flag up a few things. You may remember when we we're talking about uh, the our book of the month is The Dark is Rising. One of the points that we raised, I think I said... Um, about Treasure Island, not Dark is Rising, but we'll go on to Dark is Rising in a minute. And I said uh, there wouldn't have been Pirates of the Caribbean without Treasure Island, which seems reasonable. And Pat says there wouldn't have been any Harry Potter without uh, The Dark is Rising. That there seems to be quite a bit of Will Stanton in Harry Potter and even a bit of Merriman in Dumbledore. Discuss. Discuss, I don't think I don't think she's wrong, do you? <laughs> I wouldn't. I imagine that J.K. Rowling took a lot of inspiration from a lot of mm. that type of writing when she came up with Harry Potter. It obviously has fed into her um, reading upbringing, yeah. if you like, for want of a better phrase. Um, obviously, you know, the the sort of bearded wise guy is a bit of a trope in fantasy literature. You know, obviously Merriman is maybe a bit like, well, he is kind of, well, he is Merlin, basically, spoilers. Um, <laughs> yeah. We have Dumbledore and we have Gandalf. We have people like that all over the place. So that's a trope. It's, uh, But I would be surprised if J.K. Rowling hadn't read The Dark is Rising. I, not, I can see the connections. Like there is a prophecy that some young lad, when he comes, when he becomes 11 or whatever it is, you know, becomes this chosen one. There is, it, but again, it's a trope. I don't mm. know if it's necessarily The Dark is Rising specifically that might have no. inspired Rowling. But yeah, I, I, it's such a seminal work, I think, The Dark is Rising, that if that hadn't existed, I, I am actually now trying to think of other examples of 
the young 11-year-old boy who comes into his powers and the bearded mentor. And at the moment, I'm failing to think of any yeah. But I mean, yeah, Harry Potter didn't just drop into the world as uh, as an original, and it's right. not saying J.K. Rowling copied anything. But I, I, the the other thing I, I uh, in my reply to Pat um, was that uh, there's a huge amount. Well, the Jill Murphy is the worst witch. Do you oh, anyone yes. come across that? Um, oh yes, you know, I don't remember it, but I read it when I was young. I know I read it. A sort of yeah. private school for witches. Mm. <laughs> so that was in the early seventies. Um, mm. And the other thing um, from my childhood, um, there were all these books set in boys' boarding schools. So um, I uh, consumed, for some bizarre reason, uh, Jennings by Anthony Buckridge. Yeah, and he um, uh, uh, and there was a, a Billy Bunter as well, which was a big thing um, when I I was younger. Um, so I just think there's it's an amalgam of all those sort of. Um, well, boarding school is a yeah. trope in itself. I mean, as a girl growing up, I read all the Enid Blytons, like Mallory Towers yeah. and St Clairs. Were, I was just thinking of that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things about fantasy or any children's literature, where the children are the the, the heroes, you, you basically you have to remove the parents yeah, <laughs> so yeah. that they can go off and have these adventures without the parents saying you've got to be home for dinner. And one way of doing that is in a boarding school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they have midnight feasts, which is like really transgressive and exciting. But, oh. you know, when you were a kid growing up, the idea of being allowed to stay up till midnight yeah. feasts is marvellous. And then but, you just want to take it from there and you go off and explore villains and pirates and smugglers and the supernatural and what have and, you. And completely ignoring the reality of boarding school beatings and other things um uh, right so the and the other thing is um pat came up with an excellent recommendation i think we went off on um because when we were talking about the dark is rising and the adaptation done for the bbc uh mm. by robert mcfarlane which then triggered pat to recommend a book which i haven't come across but mm -hmm. i am definitely going to read it called yes. looking for the hidden folk how iceland's elves can save the earth by nancy marie brown yeah we're all in i can I you can't see this into it, but just the title has got me i just yeah. have to go and find it now and read it and, and i think lara you said it went to the top of your to be red pile didn't it it went to the top of mine definitely yeah so um <laughs> I, I would say that uh, is an excellent recommendation. I'm just trying to say, Pat actually said, um, the descriptions in this book uh, describing walking across lava fields in Iceland remind me of uh, Robert McFarlane. Mm. And um, she's also written a lot. Uh, this is Nancy Marie Brown, has written a marvellous book on Viking warrior women. Uh, but that's another story, says Pat. So maybe, <laughs> Pat, you should come on and talk to us about the other story. I could be controversial and say, well, you know, Treasure Island, Latter-day Pirates, or maybe they are Latter-day Vikings. That's mm -hmm. controversial. Sorry, that's very controversial. I'm she just going to dip in here, actually. I was just quickly going back over our previous podcast recordings because um, the, the whole thing about the elves in Iceland and the walking across lava fields, it reminded me of something that you mentioned in our uh, first episode of this season, if you like, which is Horatio Clare's Sound Walk in the Pharaohs. Oh, yes. And I managed to listen to a couple of those. I didn't. I, I came to it a bit late and I kind of ran out of time before they expired. But it reminded me very, very much of that. So yeah. the islands in that sort of area, that neck of the woods in, in the sea and so on. And so much of it, very atmospheric. 
um, really taking on board the, if you like, the, the, the geography and the mythology of whatever islands that there are in that area. Yeah. And how that all becomes very, very real and not just, you know, stories in a book to be read. Absolutely. You know, in a yeah. library. So this, 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 uh, I'll put this book on our, our bookshelf on uh, bookshop.org. I think it's still only in hardback, but I'm definitely going to track down a copy. And one, a uh, couple of last things from, from Pat, whose favourite Dickens novel is Great Expectations and uh, controversial this is, Pat. Miss Havisham must be one of the most memorable literary characters ever imagined. Mm. 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 Okay, um, and also she admits to not having read Treasure Island. That's shocking, isn't it? Are you shocked, Holly? No, that's fair. I think I I thought I did until literally this year. I've just convinced I read it, but I was just familiar with the story, so no shame, no shame in that part. I've no, got okay. <laughs> but it, it then leads on to. Um, uh, talking about Kidnapped, which is also by uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, who will come up in our next episode when we talk about Edgelands, but uh, uh, sparked uh, Pat's interest in Scottish history, and I think we should devote a whole episode to Scottish history personally, although I haven't discussed it with my co-presenters. I can talk about Macbeth. That's my contribution. I know nothing else. That's our Macbeth, yes. Oh, well, we know all about Macbeth. We could even perform some of it, couldn't we, friends? It's been a while since we've done a Shakespeare recording. I think that was one of the first things I did when we saw the radio show. And, <laughs> and we did it brilliantly, I I think. But hey, like, it was it's great. <laughs> Who doesn't want to be one of the three weird sisters? Um <laughs> <laughs> anyway um so thank you pat well that that, that that's wonderful uh, do keep listening and um you can you too can comment and get a shout out and join in the discussion if you go to info at uh, um now we've got quite a lot of catching up in this episode um one thing um should say um uh, lara if you're still with us we talked about bookshops last time and you didn't get a chance to to give us your recommendation i think it's deeply unfair that i only have to choose one everybody and i'm oh, gonna make that well, that's known. what everyone else <laughs> said but uh, actually holly well, chose two but you you go go with one to start with lara okay so if holly chose two <laughs> i'm then, sorry um <laughs> never, never be sorry when it comes to books um i'm going to go for the amazing news from nowhere on bowl street it's feminist writing it's just they put on events you know they have book everything like everything that you want book based they've got it and it, it's fantastic is that liverpool um, yeah, liverpool and yes it, yeah. it, it is it is in Liverpool. And I'd also recommend um, there's a new bookshop also in Liverpool called Out of Print, which is just recently open. And the book, it's three floors of antique books. Ooh. And it's absolutely spectacular. Um, the ladies never saw books before. And I went in there recently and it was just incredible. So those would be my two recommendations, I think. And, and where is Out of Print in, in Liverpool? It's on uh, Smithston Road in oh, Liverpool. Oh, gosh, the place yes. where there are many great things. 
Um, so news from nowhere, fabulous bookshop, been going since uh, the 70s. I remember it as a student and they're a cooperative as well, a, a, a women's they are, cooperative. They are, they are um, indeed. Which just reaches whole levels other bookshops don't reach. So it's a fabulous recommendation, Lara. So you're allowed that second choice as well. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and that, I mean, there's some. There's loads of bookshops in in, uh, in in Liverpool that we could mention, but we will have another show where we talk about uh, our bookshop recommendations. The other thing that we um, have done since we last did a recording, um, or at least some, uh, probably only me out of this, for the four of us, and Lara not for want of being there, um, we had a, a book group where we discussed Amy Liptrot's The Outrun. And uh, lots of new people turned up in person to the, the book group. But I don't think you had an opportunity, Lara, to say um, how you got on with the Outrun, whether you liked it or not. So here's a chance. Oh, some, sometimes there's books that you want to recommend people, but then you also want to say emotionally this may. I was very, very moved by this book. I loved every single page of this book and you you'd mentioned this book previously Paul and it was one that was on my list so I was very excited when it was our book club pick um just because I think everybody should read it I think the way that she talks about landscape in Orkney and her own personal struggles I won't spoiler it for anybody who hasn't read it yet <laughs> but it is a truly brilliant it can be heartbreaking it can be hilarious but all along you feel like I felt like I was with her experiencing this landscape and these different you know experiences and she's a very very gifted writer to write about the topics that she writes in such a way is quite difficult so I would I would say to people please you know go go pick up a copy if you haven't read it yeah, I think I think um, out of um, I think there were eight or nine of us at the the book group, it 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 got a very a very strong four out of five possibly, and some of us five and an excess of five. Um, I did meet Amy Liptrot and I d did an interview which has vanished into the mists of radio archives, sadly. <laughs> um, but it was um, she she. Yeah, she she was is is very brave uh, in just laying everything bare and vulnerable, and that is why it's such a uh, an amazing book and and unique. I think lots of people sort of write um, biographies about how they've been through hard times, and I, you know none of them leave an impression like this. And I was reading it for the second time. Uh, I, I, well, the, the real joy, the real joy was that uh, we put some stuff up on, um, on uh, Instagram, uh, I copied um, Amy in and she responded, bless her. Oh, yeah. And she fabulous. said, did we have a good time discussing it? And then I just, uh, <laughs> I know I would say, Amy, if you were to listen to this, just thank you for such an amazing book. And, um, every, you know, you need to be in the right place to read it. But I think if you're going through a hard time, um, it is actually ultimately uplifting. And, um, yeah, uh, you, I came away feeling very fortunate <laughs> that I am I where I am. Really 
this is a really valid point, I think, because I know that their memoir and autobiography is something that um, can can come out in different ways. Yeah, there's a phrase misery memoir, and there's been quite a well-known, shall we say, memoir that's hit the shelves in recent months from a certain <laughs> member of the royal family. Which Decimated bookshops, seen, I'd say, Gwen. <laughs> reviews. Um, but I think it's definitely worth saying that there, there are ways of writing memoir and there are ways of conveying one's own personal experience, which can reach people and perhaps other memoirs that are written which don't reach people in the same way. So mm. I think when you find a memoir that is written in a way that reaches, you know, let's say four out of five people who read it, it's, it's something that's worth hanging on to and it is worth shouting about. And those are the books that we need to know about and which is what I hope we are able to do through this through this podcast. Yeah, and, and, and uh, a lot of the people in the book group said, oh, and what happened to her next? You know, I need, well, she has now written another book seven years later called The Instant, which is about what Ooh. did happen next when she went to Berlin. And the uh, wild population of raccoons in Berlin is one of the things that jumped out from that book to me. <laughs> who, who knew? Um, <laughs> an equally amazing book. <laughs> yeah. Just you just need to go and read them. You just need to go. Mm. And, there you go, Holly. Have you got time to read books like this? I do a little bit. Um, I, I think I've, I've got Easter break coming up, so I'm going to indulge in a mm. range of books then. But most of the time, all I've got time for is you know, like the tiny penguin books that are like two pound that you can get. I've mostly been doing those because they're an unreasonably high Goodreads this year. Um, so <laughs> I'm mostly reading those because they're more consumable. But Holly. I'm Holly, sorry. I just want yeah. to say there, there is a book that you're reading, which I didn't get a chance, but we, we talked about Macbeth and Shakespeare and on. You've read Margaret Atwood's Hagseed, haven't you? Yes, um, it, I am. Um, it was great. Do you want to talk I... a little bit about it to, to Paul and Gwyn and yeah. kind of what the, the basis of that is, because we've both read this book and it's. I'm liking the title already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. It's so good. We um, we actually studied it. We actually studied it in my um. I, I have like an Empire and Aftermath module, and I studied it in that, and it's brilliant. And I'm also studying the Tempest right now. I'm doing an essay on it. Oh, it's such a good book. I want to write. I, it's just amazing. Um, it's really interesting that it's called Hagseed, but that we had a whole like interesting discussion about how Caliban is sort of like an absent absent figure in the text. I thought it was really interesting. Um, and I know, don't know about you, Laura, but the use of like Miranda's ghost and especially how Miranda kind of becomes an aerial figure in that is really cool yes. how that's done. Yes. I, I'm definitely it's into really, this book. I've not really read much Margaret Atwood and it was, it was splendid. Yeah. I got, actually was a part of a book club for me and I was like, wow, this is a sensational read, a real gem. Brilliant. Well, that's brilliant. Oh, my, what a, what a wonderful course having to read books like that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, Gwyn, I want you to talk about um, Stephen King in a minute. So brace yourself. Um, Brace yourself, listeners, Um, (laughs) because it was a big book and has had a big impact. I left a hanging thread two episodes ago because, Lara, you were talking about the book about the Horniman Museum or the person that founded the Horniman Museum. And I mentioned John Gould, or I might not even have mentioned his name, but um, John Gould, The Birdman, um, is the title of a book by Isabella Tree, who also wrote Wilding, which I'm sure I talked about on Bookalicious. Um, But uh, John Gould... um, 
was it's a very similar book to the book about the Horniman Museum, but John Gould was a, an amazing uh, figure in uh, Victorian Britain. I came across him, not personally, I'm not that old, um, but when I worked in London Zoo, we used to have all of his birds of Australia, all, all of his books, massive, massive folio volumes of hand-coloured um, uh, engravings, birds of Australia, birds of um, Britain and so forth. And they're, they're worth an absolute fortune. But we would have to go as librarians and collect the books to show to people and you know they weighed a ton so that was my first encounter with John Gould I had no idea about him until I actually read this book and did you know well he used to go I mean the, the, he's not a he's not a likable character a bit like Dickens I think he's one of those Victorian guys who didn't really treat um, certainly didn't treat the women in his life um, very well um, his, he married a woman who was very good at illustrating birds. Isn't that interesting? Um, and exploited that until she died. And uh, he used to go out and collect the birds, shooting them um, all over the world. And they pitched up in Australia for several years. And uh, I think she died out there. But he was just um, out to get as much money and exploit this commercial um, venture of um, and he was a very skilled um, bird man, or an ornithologist, he knew his stuff. But the interesting thing about him is, without him, Charles Darwin may not have actually got to his theory of evolution. Because when Darwin came back from the Beagle, he kind of handed over um, the finches, Darwin's finches, um, to John Gould, who did the kind of scientific work on it. And people, he started to come to the same conclusion and Darwin goes oh so that's interesting so they're like that because they're on that island and the, you know and who knew um, and actually it's a fascinating book but don't go uh, expecting to like John Gould at all um, but that's uh, your fault Lara because you kind of um, talked about the Horniman Museum and off I went on a whole Victorian natural history thing um, when I should have been reading loads of other things, but um, yeah. <laughs> so, Gwyn, come on. Um, you have been reading Steve. Your 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 fiction read this month has been mm. um, a five hundred page plus epic uh, by Stephen King. Yes, fairy tale. I think it's his latest work. I got it at the library because I was too stingy to spend money on because it's only out in hardback at the moment. It's 570 something pages. And he's quite um, well off anyway. So Yeah, exactly. I'll <laughs> get some library royalties or whatever they are. Um, I've never read me Stephen King before, which is quite unusual for someone who has tried to do her own creative writing in the past because Stephen King is one of those writers who you get referred to time and time again. He is the master storyteller. He's written a book called On Writing, which is part memoir, part writing mm. manual. I've never read him before because I associate him mostly with horror and horror is not my thing. But this book is called Fairy Tale. <laughs> and it literally does what it says on the tin, on the cover. Um, fairy tales and folklore and fantasy and all that kind of myth and legend stuff is exactly my kind of thing. So I thought it's it's my book group read for the month. I'm going to make an effort to read it. And I'm really glad I did. Um, the, the book I'm going to 
not compare it to in terms of subject matter necessarily, but there are connections in terms of my experience reading it is American Gods by Neil Gaiman, oh, yeah. which is also a very, very fat book, but I just couldn't put it down. And I got to the end of each of them and thought, I just want to go back and read those again to see what else I might have missed. I felt that he was seeding so much into the story that was at not, not even a, an overt level. I mean, Neil Gaiman writes amazing stories. He is very, very well versed in myths and legends and archetypal narratives and tropes and so on. And obviously Stephen King is drawing so much on those sort of narratives and traditions in this particular novel. It's, you know, um, the basic story, there's a 17-year-old lad from modern-day America who finds his way into a fairy tale world. And he, you know, he has a quest, fulfills the quest, and so on. That, that's basically the story. It is a fairy tale. Somebody goes into a magic land and saves the world. Mm. Spoilers. But um, because King is who he is and has so much experience in writing and so much obvious knowledge about the different stories that have been told by people over the years, that it's if you are interested in anything in the, the background of and the psychological background to things like fairy tales and archetypal stories and narratives and characters and why the same stories repeat themselves in different cultures through different times. Um, if you're interested in someone like Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey, that, that kind of thing, if you have any interest in that whatsoever and you like a good read, read Fairy Tale by Stephen King. Um, it's, it's a, it is a page yeah. turner, though, yeah? It is. It's very accessible. I mean, not having read Stephen King before, I thought, well, I, what's this going to be like? But it's, it's not a hard slog. It's not, it's not literary fiction, um, but it's, it's easy to read. But not being literary fiction doesn't mean that it's, you know, it's, mm. it's, it's got so much meat in it. There are, he makes overt references to a lot of different narrative ideas and tropes and traditions in that kind of fantasy literature. But I also found myself noticing ref references to stories that he wasn't actually making particularly overt, but which I thought, oh, there's two boys and two girls and a dog going up to do something here. That's like the famous five. And it may, he may not have intended that in the slightest, but I noticed it. Yeah, yeah. And there were other instances where I kept thinking, oh, there might actually be even more under the surface here than, than what I'm seeing. So I, as I felt, actually, when I came to the Amend of American Gods, I felt with fairy tale, um, I, want, I really want to go back and read it all over again to see what I might have missed first time round. And that, for me, is the mark of a really good story when you think, ooh, I, I, I've missed stuff and I need to go back and have another look at it. It, so it sounds... Um... Uh, magnificent actually i was going to say I, I is, it, it. is it anything like well obviously philip pullman re uh retold a lot of the grimm's fairy mm. tales a few years ago mm. i'm guessing it's not like that but i wonder you know you probably see lots of threads of the various um stories there and um the way philip pullman retells them in mm. you know going back to the originals there's a lot of horror in fairy yeah. tales there is yeah, a lot i can I mean, see why it attracts yeah. stephen king yeah it's, it's there's not a lot of horror in it if anybody's worried about that i mean there's a giant cockroach that comes out of a shed and it's a bit gruesome and there's a cthulhu like monster somewhere in there Ooh. um and then there's there's sort of weird stuff 
but it's not particularly gruesome. It's not as visceral as you might expect from someone like Stephen King. It's more, it's just so interesting how he plays on the tropes of fairy tales and fantasy and what happens to people when they maybe think about their own lives in terms of it being a story and a development and how you can take the things that you read in stories and apply them to your own life. So, you know, we all talk about pursuing our dreams and having fantasies about, you know, and everyone says, oh, such and such a dream is just a fantasy. But then why do these fairy tales appeal to us so much? It's, it's this idea of being able to actually realise things did, that you think might not be possible. Did your um, book group enjoy it? I think, I said, yes, mostly. Um, I think there were a couple of people, because it was so long, I think there were a couple of people who said, oh, I got bored at about page 300, because it does kind of shift. <laughs> oh, you where... might as well finish it at that stage, <laughs> might you? <laughs> but there's a point where it shifts and you think the story has been about the boy going into this fantasy world uh, looking to save his dog and then stuff happens and it goes on to a completely different sort of so I think a few people are like oh I thought it was just going to be an easy story um, okay. and then it, it, it develops so I think either you like that kind of thing or you get a bit bored by it hey look we our long read is Bleak House you know developing stories <laughs> That's us. <laughs> wow. Um, how are you get? Thank you for that, Gwen. I I possibly would never even think about picking that up without I'd you. Recommend it. I really yeah. would. I I mean, it's gonna the, the to be read pile is now. Well, you can't see this, uh, listeners, but the part of the shelves behind me are the be read pile, which is several hundred books. So, well, that know. looks about the same size as my to be read pile. <laughs> my own personal uh, library it's really good that Gwyn has actually mentioned reading um Stephen King's fairy tale again that's on my list but again mm. I'm, I'm not a big I'm not I'm not like a, I tend to obviously associate like Gwyn, uh, Gwyn said with horror mm. however I was very excited when one of my favorite authors Stephen Chibkowski who did the perks of being a wallflower which readers might know of there is a film version mm. it's actually pretty good um he He's done a book called Imaginary Friend. Now, he hasn't wrote a book in, oh, my God, 14 years, I think. So this is a 700-page horror Blimey. about a, a young child. And it's quite, it, it's quite, when you you pick big books, because obviously I, I do like to read, but this one, 700 pages, I just couldn't put this down. Within the first 50 pages my skin I, I could just feel goose pimples on my skin and i actually had nightmares after reading this book that's how scary it oh, can actually God. be is and i recommend people to <laughs> recommend it that is definitely a recommendation wow. yes that's that's but it, um... it's 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 just insane it's crazy Who, who's the author again uh laura imaginary friend yeah um uh, yeah, Stephen Chabowski. So C H B O S Y K. Oh yeah, Chabowski. Yeah. Wow. Look, um, you know what? We've been um, everywhere just in the space of about half an hour here, um, and um, that's such. Uh, we got such rich territory here in Bookalicious. But uh, given our new style of show. I'm going to draw this uh, segment to a, to a close. 
give you all a chance to go away and read um, all these books before the next episode in a week or two. Um, we'll be back uh, for our book of the month, which is Edgelands. And um, you'll hear what we've all got to say about that uh, later on. OK, so, well, thank you, um, uh, Lara, Holly and Gwyn, And thank you all for listening and uh, do make sure you subscribe to this show because then it alerts you when we pop up. But roughly speaking, it'll be every couple of weeks in the new new style that we've got. Um, so, OK, uh, we will be back in a, a couple of weeks time. You've been listening to Bookalicious, not just any book podcast. If you want more information or get our show notes, please go to bookalicious.com. And if you want to send us a message, you can do so on info at bookalicious.com. And if you have enjoyed this podcast, please rate us and do make sure you tell all your friends. Until next time, wish you all happy reading. <laughs>